Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. What's up fam, Lucas here. I want to take a moment to announce a couple of things to all my new listeners on the podcast. Firstly, if you're looking to upgrade your brain function, whether that be through reducing brain fog, enhancing verbal fluency, improving confidence, motivation, drive, or even orgasm intensity, then check out my nootropics course, which can be found on my website at www.ergogenic.health. And you'll see at the top, it will say courses where you can use the discount code BYB15 to save 15% off. In addition, I also have a sleep optimization masterclass and a testosterone optimization course that can also be accessed on my website. Again, you can use the same discount code BYB15 to save 15% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I'm joined in with a very special guest joining me in all the way from the US. Today, we have Joel Green joining me in to talk all things biohacking, intermittent fasting, a little bit on fat loss, and some other very novel concepts. So, Joel, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Lucas. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So maybe do you want to give my audience a bit of a background into, I guess, your story um, and your mission? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm very old. <laughs> I'm, I'm 56. So I've been doing this a long time. And uh, I've, I've had, um, I had the, probably a, a good 30 years doing, doing the fitness thing, you know, that uh, we've all done it. You know, you just, you're in your teens and twenties and you want to look good and you, you know, you, you watch pumping iron and, you know, he did that thing. So I did that for like 30 years. Um, and, uh, going into the nineties, the early nineties, uh, when, you know, kind of the, the modern era of nutrition really began. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but like MCTs, uh, were kind of introduced like in the early nineties and a lot of other things, keto diets and stuff like that. So I was like an early adopter for those things. And, um, I, I read an article by Jeff Everson in 19, gosh, probably 92 about where he said that he was just eating one meal a day in the evening. And I'd already known that like Herschel Walker, this like a uh, guy who was this amazing athlete, like back in, back in the eighties was doing that. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so, um, I started doing that and, and just taking, uh, Metrax. And, and this was like uh, probably 92 and it was like in two cans and, I just, I was, I was peeled. I was probably four or 5% body fat. I was ripped. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I had everybody asking what I was doing and what, you know, tell us your secret. And, what. and uh, what happened to me is what um, actually nowadays I get a lot of people coming to me, which is um, after several years of doing that, uh, you, you basically break your metabolism. You know, you, you your hunger's out of control. Uh, your insulin uh, sensitivity is is wrecked, and well, all these different things that, that you'll do if you go down that path. So that happened to me in the '90s, and it was a wake up call for me. And um, I didn't know what I had done. I knew that I did something, but I didn't know what it was. And uh, so the the gut hormones at that time hadn't even been discovered, and they were just sort of in the uh, research phase. And so. I really kind of started what you might call a biohacking. There wasn't a word for it. I was just, I was just trying to figure out and experiment with different things. So, um, that led me down a road for probably, uh, through 2006 of just trying one protocol after another, trying things like, um, uh, what you would call time restricted feeding or, or just, uh, you know, kind of clean eating, you know, fresh whole raw, everything fresh whole raw, you know, that phase. And then I had my, a clean macro phase, you know, I had, I had all these different phases and what was notable about this thing, number two things, number one, I was a regular person. I wasn't getting paid to be fit. So that was number one. And then number two, what was sort of interesting about that was that I was, um, in the real world, I was getting older. Okay. So I was, I had, uh, I had, I had passed out of being kind of carefree and single moved into, moved into like, uh, my, my early forties by 2000, five uh i think i turned 40 and so i was just sort of seeing the cumulative effects of all these different things that i've been doing over the years and notably what what i really noticed was that um it all broke down um under pressure in real life like like it like and i kind of realized what i what i was trying to do the same thing everybody else is doing you're, you're trying to import into a very distinct ecosystem a bunch of strategies that weren't born in that ecosystem you're trying to import into the ecosystem of real life where time constraints uh, essentially dictate what you can do with your time, uh, strategies that are born out of an ecosystem where everybody's paid to be fit. Mm-hmm. And, and they broke down. It all broke down. So I was, uh, I, I was in a startup company. 
we became pretty successful. Um, the company we went from like zero to you know two million dollars a month here pretty pretty fast. And uh, I was working, just working, 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 fourteen hours a day. Yeah. And I I I'd come into that job being probably five percent body fat, really in shape, and and I left it like being two hundred and fifty seven pounds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of fat, like fat, really fat, but big, 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 but fat. You know, like uh, big arms, big chest, big gut, you know, the whole story. <laughs> so uh, coming out of that uh, was a big change for me. And I, I, uh, I kind of ran into the problem everybody's going to run into, you know, which is um, uh, time kind of makes a prison out of the body. And it really kind of formed the, the core of what I'm doing today, kind of what I would say my mission is. And that is um, really everybody has the same problem with the body. We all have this, we all face the same problem. It's a problem that time time will make a prison out of the body time makes a prison out of the body and it's it's a prison made from uh where the bars are invisible but you feel them it's it's declining energy it's restricted mobility it's um you know uh increasing body fat and it's uh, risk of disease states like cancer and things like that so that's that's what time does to the body mm. and the solution really is to keep the body young it's just that's the solution and what I um, really have come to realize is that, um, and this is the premise of my book, The Immunity Code. Um, the premise of the book is that, that real health is missing. That you know, we have this, we have this, um, we have this endeavor everybody's chasing after. We call it, you know, being fit or you know, different words we use on it, like weight loss or biohacking. You know, it's all the same sort of thing. And if you look at it, and you look at, you know, kind of just get out of the selfie, the, the before after selfie, and just kind of track long-term what, what happens, you get a completely different picture of what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really happening is that um, you're, over time, you just see that by following most of these strategies, trying to import these strategies out of that ecosystem into the real life eco- ecosystem, what's happening is that um, it just doesn't work for most people over time. And mm-hmm. when you look at their bodies, they're doing this with weight over time. But more importantly, like a lot of the people that you think know what they're talking about are just as cancer prone, if not more, uh, just the rate of heart attacks is just as, just as frequent, if not more. And so uh, when you study it, you see very clearly real health is missing. And, you know, there's a long, long list of names of people that I can think of from, you know, the past 30, 30 plus years, 40 plus years that are dead, you know, that were once really famous and really fit and famous for being fit. And they're all dead, all of them, you know, so, so they're not living longer they're not any less cancer prone they're not any so real health is not there and when you start to peel back well why is real health not there mm-hmm. um i give the analogy in my book of uh, a real guy I, I i used i used a pseudonym his name i called him simon <laughs> and uh simon was uh was a meathead who um you know got on the juice and and got super fit and next thing you know was running a, a big supplement business and everybody Wanted to know what's your secret, dude? What's your secret, man? And I knew the secret. The secret was the same secret it's always been. Just a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of drugs. That was the secret. <laughs> um, but I saw a funny thing happen um, as uh, as the years rolled by. Like Simon tried to get off the juice and he couldn't uh, because when he started getting off the juice, he's like, ah, oh, man, I'm just getting that old man body, you know. And he didn't he didn't have the power to control his body. He couldn't get his body to do what he want, wanted it to do. And that's the problem everybody faces over time. You can't get your body to do what you want it to do. And you'll hear that story more often than not. And um, the, the story you most often hear is 
well, I, I tried this program, you know, in my twenties and it worked for a while. And then, you know, and then I did this for a while in my thirties and it worked for a while. And I did this for, but now nothing's working, you know, and I, and I can't lose weight. And, and, you know, it's the power to control the body and to get it to do what you want it to do. Mm. And there's really no solution that has ever been proposed to solve that problem. And that's kind of my thing. That's what I'm working at because all the solutions that have been proposed, um, they never, they never take into account the real world ecosystem. Mm. See, it's like, it's one thing to propose some solution that, um, you know, uh, takes a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of energy and often a whole bunch of drugs. It's another thing to do it without time. Mm. And that's the trick is in the real world. You have to, there's, you have these periods where there's no time. There just aren't. And you have to make it work when there's no time. And that's, that's a whole other layer of difficulty. So that's mm. kind of a long winded what I'm doing. Yeah, really, really well put, Joel. There's one, um, there's one concept there that I really would love to expand upon, and that is um, the idea around performance versus longevity. Like mm. this sort of trade-off that we're sort of, you know, the quick, quick results with this, you know, steroids, drugs versus oh, what's the trade-off for longevity and things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could we could do an entire show on just that if you wanted to, because it's you know, there's a lot to that. So the, the first thing to understand is that um, we get into things like, you know, we want the benefits of things like fasting, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we want the benefits. But well, what are those benefits? And, and what are the mechanisms that drive those benefits? What are they? You know, well, it's, it's the only proven model to ever extend lifespan is starvation or just eating less. Uh, caloric restriction. Okay. Well, that's, that's a huge benefit, right? Uh, well, what's the mechanism? How's it work? Why does it work? Well, when you, when you break that down, um, it gets down to signal pathways really. And it gets down to the activation of very specific signal pathways that either trigger the body to run through its allotted cycles of growth or put the brakes on one of the two. And so the inherent cost of pushing growth into the body is that you're using it up faster. Mm. So now that's fine. Uh, as long as it's an individual choice, and as long as you um, know what you're doing and you understand that it, it's very much like a car, it's very much like, a, you know, um, it, it, let's say the average engine has a hundred thousand miles in it and you just want to take your car to the track all the time. Well, that, that's cool. You can do what you want with it. You got to understand that pushing the car in that way, is using the life cycle of the car up a lot faster. Mm. And the body works uh, very much the same way when it gets down to looking at the way signal pathways work. And uh, there's very good science on this. And it's, it's um, I put it in the book uh, in terms of a, it's called the IIS uh, signal pathway paradigm of aging. And in, in a sense, aging is uh, somewhat linear with respect to inputs down uh, the insulin, insulin-like growth factor pathway. And, in order to grow, uh, we need that pathway to fire. So, um, from a performance aspect, in terms of you know putting on muscle or um, you know things of that nature, that requires growth from the body. And there's a balance between uh, too little growth, uh, just enough, and too much. And so, it's it's a very interesting topic to think about versus longevity, which is sort of the inverse pathways, things like the AMPK pathway, the sirtuins, and different processes like ubiquination and all that stuff. So these things sort of exist, um, kind of opposed, um, but also complementary. They work together, but they're also opposed. Yeah. And 
it's it's a it's it's a big it's a big discussion in a big universe you know sure. to dive into yeah yeah well let's sort of um let's sort of segue into a bit about fasting because I know you talk quite a lot about um, various types of fasting things like that so firstly I want to ask you what can people do to amplify the benefits of mm-hmm. fasting mm-hmm. um fast less <laughs> that would be the first thing fast less yeah um so the first question is uh, that I like to tell people is well why are we fasting what's your purpose in fasting and your purpose is probably well i want to i want to induce uh, autophagy um i want to you know do all these things well almost all of those things happen during sleep they just happen much better during sleep because that's why we call it break fast break fast sleep is fasting but sleep is fasting done in a way where um it syncs the circadian rhythms and it syncs the signal pathway activation mm. okay so Optimizing sleep uh, is sort of the first level of amplifying fasting, making sure that you know your sleep is really tracking on all cylinders. That, that's kind of the first level of it. But uh, beyond that, what I talk about a lot in my book, um, maybe maybe kind of the core focus is that um, there are things that are complementary to um, complementary to fasting and when we look at like um, what those things are, um, there's something very interesting that pops up. It's that you see that, um, and just to use an, an ancestral narrative, um, which by the way, narratives are helpful. They're not facts. They're just narrative and story, but they're helpful. I use them, you know, but we always have to remember when we're using narrative that it's, it's just a narrative, you know, let's, let's see if it correlates to the data. Okay. But uh, a, a very helpful narrative is to understand that um, historically speaking, like when we were starving, Pretty much the last thing on the menu is going to be roots, okay? Like it's, I mean, you'll eat them, you'll you'll dig up roots and eat them if you have to. It's just not your first pick. Your first pick is, you know, probably like a steak or, you know, something else. That's your first pick. But it, it turns out that um, the way nature has uh, sort of partitioned uh, the the economics of starvation, that there's a there's a benefit to roots in a starved state, and it's that roots in a starved state feed bacteria that mimic the effects. And enhance the effects of both exercise and fasting. So certain types of bacteria um, proliferate um, with certain types of food inputs, and those bacteria are commensal, meaning that they're extremely beneficial to their human hosts. Mm. And when you look at like, if you were to just draw out a spreadsheet, and how about you know a selection of checkboxes, uh, and compare exercise to certain bacterial um, metabolites you'd see one-to-one and they are doing the same thing. Like uh, one is uh, exercise produces lactic acid. Mm, certain bacteria, check. Okay, exercise activates the AMPK pathway. Certain bacteria, check. Exercise induces mitochondrial biogenesis. Certain bacteria, mitochondrial my- microbiome crosstalk, check. <laughs> and so what we see is that that's very interesting that um, in a starved state, certain roots potentiate certain bacteria, which essentially mimic exercise and amplify fasting. And if you can time that to um, best of all worlds, to the maximum signal induction, diurnally speaking, in other words, during sleep, well, what you're doing is you're inducing um, essentially more cells, more signal strength for all the things that, that make fasting work. Mm-hmm. So that then coming into a fast, you don't have to fast as long. 
you just don't have to fast as long. And there's, and there's good reasons to not fast as long. Um, we see that, um, and, and it's becoming pretty common now because we're getting into like, you know, year two, three, four for people who've been doing fasting. Uh, a lot of people are having a lot of problems with it. You know, the longer that they do it, they're, they're getting into like just uncontrollable eating. And, and those are things to be expected when you look at how leptin works, you know, over the long term. So um, there's very good reasons to want to economize fasting um, so that you can do it on a regular basis. Uh, and then every now and then you want to do an extended fast, you can do that. But in terms of like, you know, kind of having this unchecked um, sort of uh, binge on fasting, uh, there's there's negatives to that. And one of those one of those could be sleep disruption. So it's something that um, there's some very good reasons to want to get as much bang for the buck out of fasting as you can. Mm. Amazing, amazing points. Just, uh, just mentioned there. One of them, um, one of them really excited me, and that is looking at um, how, yeah, obviously how fasting can manipulate certain gut bugs, um, and the, and these gut bugs can elicit some of the same effects that fasting has downstream. So, I want to discuss one of the key um, bacteria that we have quite a lot of research around, and that is the Acomantia, um species of bacteria um, and specifically i mean i i personally use metformin you know twice twice a week i have certain criteria for using metformin um it's a bit of it's a bit of a a weird setup that i have it's like if i've had uh, a single night of poor like very bad poor sleep or like sleep deprivation i'll use metformin the next day um or a day that i don't train i'll use metformin and one of the reasons why i'm excited by metformin is the fact that it can increase the acomansia um, growth. So do you want to talk about this particular bacteria and why it's so um, beneficial? Yeah, well, um, so uh, in, in the gut, the, the gut, the gut barrier, the, the gut junction, um, you have a layer of mucus and that layer of mucus is um, very thin and it is the only thing separating you from the outside world. So every day you bring the outside world into your body and it stays the outside world. It doesn't become part of you, okay, some of it. Um, and so there's kind of a selection process in order to see who gets in the door, who gets into the body. And so when you look at the, the actual epithelial barrier, you see there's this little, little layer of mucus that's just essentially protecting you from the outside world. And that's no small thing. Um, I use the example in my book of a... Um, uh, a piece of salami <laughs> and, and, and just digging, digging and just cutting. If you just cut, you know, square patch where your, your flesh was exposed and put some salami on that, you'd have a real problem in about an hour or two, like a very big problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, but if you covered that with like a, a layer of mucus, we had some protection there. It'd be a different story. So that layer of mucus is uh, what protects us from the outside world. And the way that the way that layer is maintained is uh, by a very select, very few uh, number of bacteria. The principal player in that picture is Acromantia mucinopha. And Acromantia mucinopha is what's known as a mucin forager. These are bacteria that really like O-link glycans. Um, they feed on, uh, they feed on them and they feed, uh, and they, they forage for mucin in the gut. So the, the net effect of these bacteria is that they are, um, probably the, the most commensal bacteria known, uh, in many respects. In other words, that, that our health is so inextricably linked with 
with acromancia and, and a couple others, fecal bacteria, prosnity, and beta micron, um, that our, our health is so linked to these bacteria that um, we, we could probably make a list and say, wow, these are really at the top of the list of, of like the most commensal bacteria. Um, and acromancia does a number of things. Um, one of the things it does, uh, well, first of all, it just seems to correlate very well to um, body composition. So um, what, we, what you see in obesity is that people who are obese, they just tend to have less agromancia. And then people who are uh, lean and thin tend to have, just tend to have optimal levels of acromancia. Um, it, it's, it's not 100%, but it, but it correlates very, very well. Um, and there's some good reasons for that. Um, uh, acromancia seems to have the ability to uh, contract the surface area of the gut. So actually, actually can help uh, help us absorb fewer calories simply by contracting the surface area of the gut. Um, yeah, uh, it also seems to be involved in cold induction. Uh, so cold and acromancia seem to work um, and seem to work together. Um, and it um, basically it maintains the integrity of the gut barrier, and it's very very much involved in maintaining um, a healthy immune system. So the way the immune system typically works is that. Um, in the gut junction, in the epithelial barrier, we have um, we have dendritic cells that will that will um, sample antigens and sample the gut lumen, and acromancia um, does a number of things to sort of keep that whole process uh, optimal and keep our immune system working. Mm. So it's um, extremely important. Um, we also see it in autoimmune disease. So curiously enough. Um, I mentioned this in the book. I mentioned uh, the case of MS, but you, you can see it in other autoimmune diseases as well, where uh, you get too much acromancia oh, and right. it becomes a problem. And, and it's probably a case where um, there is a, an over polarization of immune signals coming from things like interferon gamma, which is stimulating populations of acromancia. Um, but uh, it's, it's just an extremely fascinating, fascinating sort of field of study. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, interesting. So what about, let's sort of um, segue into I guess maybe we touched on metformin. I'd like to hear your stance on this particular, um, you know, medication for, I guess, longevity, performance. Yeah. Things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I think metformin is one of those wonder drugs. Uh, you know, there, there are a number of drugs out there that are wonder drugs. I mean, we're lucky to have them. And I think metformin is probably one of them. Um, I, I don't take it personally, uh, but I will eventually. Um, I'm saving it for the finish. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Um, I think metformin is best used sort of intermittently and strategically. Uh, so it's not something I would use every day. Uh, it's not something I would use um, on a, a continual basis. But I do think that there's a very good case for seasons of metformin and using it very strategically, like the way you're using it, for example. Yeah. Um, I think in that case, it's, it's a wonder drug. I mean, you know, it, it, it helps us age slower, um, probably keeps the mitochondria in better shape uh, as long as we're kind of not overdoing it. And, you know, it just does a number of really fantastic things. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I tend to, with the the metformin usage, um, yeah, again, like I said, very strategic about when I'll, you know, deploy it or rotate it with other insulin sensitizing agents. Um, but ultimately, like nothing will beat, you know, I mean, I, I aim to get 20,000 steps in a day. So there, there was a study where they compared, you know, um, 
15 minute brisk walk versus metformin, you know, post, uh, post prandial glucose levels yeah. and uh, yeah. the walking out performed metformin. So I think I'm getting the best yeah. of both worlds there. So, <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, that, that gets to another fascinating topic, which is, um, exercise induced glucose transport. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that, um, it can work locally as well. So, um, you know, kind of the, the myth of like spot fat reduction and all that, uh, well, when you look at exercise induced glucose transport, um, uh, you can get sort of insulin resistant pockets in the body, particularly in adipose mass mm. and exercise, uh, or just muscles contracting, uh, works as a, works as a sort of an insulin mimetic. So when you have like problem areas and you have things like typically in the belly or things like that, what you'll see like very often with like uh, very specific areas, like in the belly is you'll see hypoxia and you'll see insulin resistance. Wow. And so glucose transports impaired and just muscle contractions. Wherever, when you look at, when you look at people who are, um, you know, move their muscles, move specific muscles a lot, they're always lean in those muscles. And I believe it's because, uh, glucose, uh, is exercise and muscle contraction is, is so good at keeping, um, uh, glucose moving, shuttling back and forth and mimicking insulin. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's um, yeah. something worth exploring more of. So, Joel, let's sort of um, segue and discuss a little bit around uh, alcohol. I know there's one video on oh. YouTube <laughs> yeah. trending quite well, talking about the, <laughs> the metabolic fate of alcohol and how we can biohack that. So, let's talk yeah. about yeah, let's talk about alcohol and how we can just work around that. Mm, yeah, that's a big one. People want to know that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, first thing, uh, alcohol does not make you fast by itself. It actually helps you get lean. If anything, it's thermogenic in nature. So it's anybody who's ever woken up in the middle of the night with sweats knows that alcohol is thermogenic. Uh, so in fact, there's been some very interesting studies with heavy drinkers where they replace carbs with alcohol and they get, they, they get lean. So, what? so the myth yeah, it's true. Based on that thermogenic response, is that mm -hmm. like the yeah. mechanism? Mm -hmm. okay, interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, uh, just, um, I hate to say this because I know people are going to do it, but uh, <laughs> just uh, lean protein, uh, like lean anti-inflammatory protein like cod, um, you know, something with a lot of omega-3s, something that's by its very nature anti-inflammatory, um, together with alcohol, you'll get lean. You'll get lean. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, but you know, everybody knows like heavy drinkers, people, people like winos, everybody knows that wino in the back of the supermarket who just ripped the bone, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's well, it's, it's because of the thermogenic nature of alcohol. Yeah. So by itself, it doesn't make you fat, but what it does do is that when you um, look at the conversion pathway to clear um, alcohol from the body, you have to convert it eventually into, into acetate mm -hmm. to get rid of it. And in order to do that, um, carb metabolism and fat metabolism takes a back seat. So uh, carbs and fats will get stored in the presence of alcohol. And that's, that's where you get in trouble. That's where it gets skewed. Um, you know, a lot of wines now are really sugary. And so you have an inherent problem because it's a high sugar wine, you got alcohol and wherever you find carbohydrate together with alcohol, that's a problem. Um, and, and fat too. So, you know, but, but lean protein sources, um, together with alcohol aren't really the problem that we think they are. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, that's one of the, what's, that's one of the ways you, you begin to hack it is, uh, when you, when you're going out and when you're drinking is just understanding, you know, uh, what foods are complementary with alcohol. And so very lean protein sources, um, uh, typically, you know, typically fish, um, work really well. 
And then there are certain vegetables that uh, also are very complementary. So asparagus and broccoli are the two that really stand out. Um, asparagus uh, increases alcohol dehydrogenase and another enzyme. And then broccoli, actually, the sulforaphane broccoli activates certain genes that detoxify alcohol, and you'll actually get an increase in the cytosol for um, alcohol enzymes. So um, broccoli is very good and very complementary with asparagus. Mm. And so those two together with like lean proteins, uh, and then it depends on the type of alcohol that you're taking in. So uh, basically the hard stuff is, <laughs> is kind of, it's kind of more the go-to. So, uh, because it doesn't have any, any carbs or anything with it, like, like beer is kind of like a much harder road to hoe because you're dealing with all the carbohydrates in it. Um, although I'm sure the people at Guinness would argue, uh, differently. <laughs> so, uh, so th there's, go ahead. I was going to say with the, um, I was thinking of one potential benefit of alcohol that I don't know if it's really explored or researched is the effect on, um, gastric acid production. Like, is it going to mm -hmm. help with protein degradation? through gastric acid secretion like is that one is there research around that at all or hmm. i'm trying to think i'm trying to think if i've ever read that i i, I don't know I don't, I don't know that i've actually looked at that mm. uh, gastric acid secretion and alcohol protein degradation i don't know if, I, I couldn't answer that one yeah 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 it'd be, a good, it'd be a good thing to study up on yeah like ethanol itself like is it a a secretor of gastrin or gastric acid and then potentially that's why you know people say drink have a bit of lean protein with your alcohol help that actually stimulates digestion i'm wondering if if there's a link there if it's influencing other gut um stomach hormones things like that well um what's interesting and what's interesting about it is you know you're getting you're getting um, you're getting short chain fatty acid production out of it, uh, and so you're um, you're getting it's you're going to get a couple things out of alcohol. You're gonna number one, you're, you're getting you're getting this sort of the cousin of a ketone body, and you're getting like sort of these alterations in short chain fatty acid production. Um, and how those play out as a result of alcohol, I don't know that it's been totally studied. Mm. Um, but those are things that get very interesting because it affects the liver and it affects, um, mm. it just affects things uh, sort of in a different way. So mm. yeah, and there's a whole topic we could kind of get into, like, you know, whether or not you're getting like acetate in the liver and all that junk. Yeah, yeah. With, um, for my listeners, they may not know the, the three types of short chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, and propionate. Um, mm -hmm. most of the research, correct me if I'm wrong, is conducted on butyrate, um, or in terms of promoting beneficial effects on human health, but I haven't actually personally explored any around acetate or propionate. So mm -hmm. can you offer any like insights around those two short chain fatty acids? Uh, yeah, well, there, there are benefits to all three short chain fatty acids, but the most important thing is sort of the ratios of the three. You know, like they, they you kind of optimally need them in certain ratios. Like you don't want, you don't want too much acetate. Uh, too much acetate will give you fatty liver. Um, and then with propionate, if you have too much propionate, you can get things like uh, certain autoimmune issues. Um, so it, it's, it, there are definitely like benefits to, to both propionate and acetate, but 
probably the bigger picture is to kind of look at the whole and it's it's just it's really the ratios of all three that you want that you want to be optimal and when you get into that discussion there are a number of different metabolic pathways to create the short chain fatty acids so um one metabolic pathway is fermenting fiber another is fermenting proteins and then within fermenting proteins you have a couple different pathways um you have a ketogenic pathway where you can ferment uh, short chain fatty acids from and so the various different pathways will produce different end products um and the best thing to say probably is that ultimately there needs to be a balance in the way that you're producing short chain fatty acids like like you don't want to do it exclusively too much any 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 one thing although the optimal home is probably fermenting them from fiber um but that doesn't mean that you can't ferment them from proteins and, and different 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 meal patterns in protein. So you can, you can use keto meal patterns or you can use like kind of overfeeding patterns, you know, carnivore patterns, things like that. Uh, but it's just that ultimately that they have to balance out. You don't, you don't want to get too much of, of like acetate or propionate relative to butyrate would be the way that I would answer that. Right. Awesome. Okay. So let's sort of, um, let's sort of delve into, um, a little bit around fat loss. I know you've covered a little bit on something known as FGF 21. So do you want to explore this as an enzyme? What, what is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I can never say this word <laughs> every time I try and say it, it's fibro, fibroblast, my tongue like ties up on it. Yeah. Fibroblast growth factor 21, FGF 21. Yeah. FGF 21 is a, um, it's a hormone. And we used to think that it was primarily a starvation hormone, a hormone involved in uh, as, as a reaction to starvation. But then it turns out that you also make it when you're feasting too. So really what it is, FGF21 is a stress hormone. Hmm. And um, it's produced and it does a number of things. It helps um, uh, in, a, in a starvation state, FGF21 uh, does a number of things in terms of like the way that fat is released in partition and drives feasting and drives drives hunger can drive a lot of things can drive uh, uh can make insulin work better does a whole bunch of things um what's notable about fgf21 is that when we shrink fat cells uh we get a we get a reduction in fgf21 and so uh, i have a course that i've released called immune center fat loss which deals uh one of the aspects of um of fat loss that's never really been dealt or accounted for is that uh, when fat cells shrink, there's a whole list of mechanisms that are activated. And mm. nobody's ever bothered to actually inventory what they are. And that's a problem because the vast majority of people that take any, any, it doesn't matter what it is, any, any program, they all regain it within five years. And it's because of, to, to a large degree, we're not inventorying what the mechanisms are mm. that happen when fat cells shrink. We're not dealing with what's true. And, and so as a result, we're not getting the results that we want. Um, when you begin the inventory, what's true, and you start to see that there's all these different hormones and mechanisms and genes, and all these things are happening post fat loss, just from the act of shrinking fat cells down. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of those is FGF21, and that we need to increase FGF21 post fat loss. And it's just something that really has, and when I asked that, I, I, I have no idea why that's never been accounted for. It just seems ridiculous to me. Like, we should we should do things based on how things work, right? Mm. So, uh, so anyways, um, FGF21 uh, post-fat loss um, is something that we probably want to look to stimulate right? if we want to prevent weight regain. And there's some decent research on this too, like on on 
basically getting FGF21 stimulated in the post-fat loss phase or in the maintenance phase. Um, what a lot of people don't understand is that post-fat loss, you have a maintenance phase. And in that maintenance phase, there are very distinct sets of genes that turn on. And there's some good research that showed there's, uh, there's a cluster of genes, uh, several dozen that activate in the post-fat loss phase. And they can very much dictate whether or not um, you're going to regain the weight or not. And so, and that's just the genetic components. There's a number of other components. So the maintenance phase is a really critical piece of the equation that's never been accounted for ever anywhere. And FGF21 is kind of a big player in that. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. Do we um, have any research around any botanicals, drugs, supplements, compounds, anything that can actually stimulate FGF21 at all? Mm, well, uh, metformin for one, but... Um, also, berberine would be another one. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, berberine and metformin, how odd. So. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because they both share so many similar... This is what I find really fascinating. It's so many of these supplements and ergogenic aids and things, they all seem to tickle the same sort of pathway or they, they might like scrape yeah. the same sort of... A lot of overlapping um, pathways, which I find really fascinating. So, yeah, that's 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 new. That's brand new to... To me, I've never heard of yeah this fibro fibroblast growth factor twenty one. Um, is is there yeah. research? I was about to say, is there research around this that you're excited to see more of? Or? Oh yeah, it's a it's this it's it's a continuing field. Like FGF twenty one um, is has a very much an evolving understanding on it. You know, like I said. Uh, previously just a few years ago it was just thought to be the fasting hormone hmm. but now we know that's not true it's a, it's a stress hormone and, and uh which brings up a really good point that uh fat loss is inherently stressful on hmm. the body it's stressful on the body and so the body has a number of different stress responses because um stress itself particularly in fat loss is coming from the fact that you're injuring the body at a cellular level these are you know when you, when you look at like, so here's your, here's your, here's your adipocyte, here's your ECM. And what you're doing is you're ripping it away from the ECM when it shrinks. Well, that's essentially like a, a tear. And so it's got to repair that. The ECM has to deform, has to try and, you know, has to pull this thing back, has to, has to reach out to the adipocyte, pull it back, has to shrink it. So there's all this stuff that's going on that uh, mechanically speaking falls under um, what's known as mechanobiology or uh, and under that there's a there's a, another sort of thing going on called mechanotransduction which refers to signals and how signals propagate from mechanical forces and this affects uh, body fat it affects uh, fat cells it, it even affects whether or not they can release fat like mm. literally um, whether or not cells can release fat has a lot to do with um, the tension tension within the cell mm -hmm. and you mentioned something actually you mentioned a really good point which is how all these signals these signal pathways converge what it really gets to kind of big picture is that um growth growing perpetuation is a uh is a is is the business of life that is life okay so there are things like the hayflick limit where cells have 50 60 allocations per cell well, growth is tightly, tightly, tightly regulated in the body. It has to be fine-tuned and tightly regulated. And it's, it's like a road. Uh, it's like a toll road where every mile down that road, road you're, paying, you're paying a toll to go down that road. And kind of at the high level is um, 
is really insulin and insulin's effect on a couple of key pathways, uh, notably one called MAPK, mitogen-activated protein kinase. And really, this is a, a, a pathway that controls the decisions that cells make about should we go forward and replicate and divide, or should we not? Should we just kind of chill for a while and stay here? And the big takeaway is, is for, the, for the listeners to begin to understand, you can control that. Mm. You have control over that. You can turn that switch when you want to, and mm. you can turn it off when you want to. So once you understand what turns that switch, which is the production of insulin, you can decide how fast you want to age. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's it's a great point there, and 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 I'm glad you're you're really emphasizing this 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 role and function of insulin outside the scope of just managing blood sugar because it really has so many broad spectrum pleiotrophic effects um, that seem to be modulating aging, as you mentioned. So. Um, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to quickly touch on the um, the AMPK versus mTOR because uh, yeah, because yeah, explain to my listeners how AMPK, mTOR, and fasting and growth are all linked. Mm-hmm. So the best way to understand it is uh, is to understand two big concepts. It's that the production of energy and growth are one; they are the same thing. We think of them as different things, but they're not. They're the same thing. So the body's ability to make energy is life itself. If every cell in your body stopped making energy right now, you'd be instantly dead. Mm. Instantly. Okay. So the body's ability uh, to grow requires energy. It has to have energy to do that. In fact, um, I make the point in my book that cells, we, we use the word cell. But really what you're looking at are, are computers. That's what they are. They're just a, a form of computer that's much more advanced than something we can associate as a computer because they, they, incorporate, they incorporate energy production, they incorporate a 3D printer, and they incorporate um, information processing and then uh, structural integrity all into one thing. It becomes a single thing. But, but what they're doing is they're making decisions mm-hmm. and they're making decisions on a regular basis, uh, not just from computer code, but also from their environment. And so they're constantly making decisions about how to partition things. Well, the most important decision that a cell can make is to live or die. That's the most important decision. And that decision is based on energy and production and power output. So within the cell, there's all these meters that, that essentially are always measuring power output. Mm. The power output in the cell gets too low. Um, there's some backup measures. Uh, one of them is a, is a protein called... Um, uh, that, that sits in the wall of cell. It's what's called a heterotrimeric protein, meaning a three-pronged protein, okay? And um, so uh, one head is uh, a- ATP, the next is ADP, the next is AMP, okay? And so when, when energy gets down and hits this prong and this prong fires, a signal pathway fires, wow. okay? It sets a cascade of events in motion. And that cascade of events uh, we call AMP-K, mm. okay? Um, and what that does is it turns on a number of measures that change the way that we get energy. Mm. So um, it's very much like uh, being on a ship and uh, we, we're low on coal. So we're going to just, we're just going to burn the deck chairs for a while. Okay. 
We're going to take all the spare furniture, all the spare parts. Let's just throw those in. Okay. And in the process, the ship's lighter and it's cleaned up, kind of looks better. So, hey, there's a benefit to that, right? Hmm. Well, that's kind of how MK works. MK is um, it's a signal pathway uh, when energy is low that turns off the process of growth. Now, what we call mTOR really is a signal pathway. And it is really referring to a series of kinases. That's what it's really referring to, serine 309 kinases. Okay, And this signal pathway is a pathway that essentially is tied to all of the body's uh, signals to grow. For cells to con continue to advance uh, down their, their, their cell cycle allotment and all these other signals that, that impinge upon growth. Okay. Um, so the thing about what we call M4 is that, again, kind of at the center of all this, you see, you see energy and you see insulin kind of driving all this. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that when energy is abundant, meaning when ATP is abundant, um, the mTOR and growth and all those things uh, can can go down that road. Okay, we can use up our primary fuel source. Okay, we, in other words, we can let's let's use the analogy of a car. Um, the pistons can only go up and down so many times in that engine, you know, before there's wear and tear. Okay, and when we are activating AMP K, that's like the electric drive on the car. Okay, the backup drive, and so the engine's not wearing out. But once fuel's abundant again, we can use the pistons, and that's great. We can do a lot of things, you know, we can, we can really go for performance, but there's a cost. The cost is we're wearing out, we're wearing out the engine mm. when we use it. So all of the body's growth centric pathways impinge upon these kinases that help release energy and drive all the body's growth factors. Okay. So life and death, energy and growth, they're, they're all kind of linked. And, and in that is, um, in that the body's sort of starvation pathways, which are um, AMPK and activation of very key proteins called the sirtuins and um, salvage sort of pathways and um, cleanup pathways like the ubiquitin proteasome pathway and autophagy and all these things, all these other things activate when, when we're in a starved state. We use these words like fasting and time-restricted feeding. Our body, doesn't know, our body doesn't understand what you're talking about. All it knows is just that starvation. The body has defenses. Uh, against starvation, but starvation serves a benefit too. It, it stops aging in a sense. Mm. So um, AMPK and M4 are kind of these uh, two ends of the seesaw. And kind of the, the cool thing is once you understand, once again, you know, how to flip the switch, you can kind of, what I talked about in the very beginning, the power to control the body, you gain the power to control your rate of aging by understanding how to, how to pedal these things. Mm. Sorry, long-winded explanation. I hope, oh, I hope that. No, that was beautifully summarized and, and very concise and clear. <laughs> Hopefully that um, yeah, it makes sense to my listeners because I think um, they're critical points to understand. They're, they're really critical um, energy sensors in the body. Um, they mediate so many downstream biological functions. Um, and, and for my listeners, just, just remember like, you know, stimulating mTOR is going to be achieved through high protein diet, um, increasing your caloric intake. Whereas, you know, stimulating the AMP side of things is when there's a shortage of food supply, the body will stimulate that side, that pathway to preserve, maintain, and, you know, promote longevity. So really well put, Joel. Um, I'd like to wrap up with one final question around, um, the carnivore diet. Um, now I don't know if you've personally experimented with it. 
Um, I'd just love to hear your opinions around, you know, maybe some pros and cons around the carnivore diet. Yeah, um, I, I think the carnivore diet, uh, first of all, there's a lot of, um, I think it's extremely useful. Uh, and I'm just after, I'm like a martial artist, I'm just looking for new techniques, okay? So if you've got a way to kick that is fantastic, I want to learn it, okay? Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not relying on any one thing. I'm mixing them all into one thing so that whatever I'm presented with, I have a response for, okay? That's the way that I'm approaching this. So um, that being said, all of the carnivore diet kind of fits under the ages of something I talk about in the book, which is um, the era of imbalance. And I make the point that um, we have gotten away from what's really true. We have, we're, we have, as a whole, believed something that's not true. We believe that, um, that we can obtain uh, health through imbalance. And that's kind of something to really think about. Because every school of thought today is telling you to imbalance your health inputs, you know, like, like and they all fight with each other. So on the one hand, it's like, you know, meat's bad, meat's murder, uh, meat sucks, you know, uh, uh, just eat plants and, you know, and then, and then keto and you know, all these different schools. But when you look at it, when you look at the thing that we call disease, the one consi consistent thing that you find is that um, you cannot describe a disease without using the word um, imbalance or uh, homeostasis, loss of homeostasis. That's all diseases are just an imbalance of something. And so we're, we believe something that's not true, which is that um, we can obtain health through um, imbalanced inputs. And that's just going against the laws of physics in terms of how the body works. Um, so there's always a short term and a long term. The short term is that um, you'll probably see a lot of benefits in the short term. Uh, and the carnivore diet's great. It's great for um, it's great for adding muscle. It's great for um, fat loss. Uh, probably heal your gut if you have issues temporarily. But over the long term, uh, that's that's where things really play out. Um, and what you're probably going to see over the long term, I would just begin by asking yourself: um, Are there any known disease states that can come from an excess consumption of meat or protein? That's what I would ask. And the answer to that is, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, colon cancer, probably top of the list. Yeah, 100%. Well, are there any mechanisms that would substantiate that? Yes, I talk about them in my book. Um, you have to understand that, you know, uh, do bacteria like meat? Yeah, right? Yeah. Leave a piece of meat out and watch what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the kind of bacteria that like meat are some of the nastiest bacteria known. I mean, you, you, the, the type of bacteria that want to ferment meat um, are some very nasty players, uh, some very pro-carcinogenic players. Um, and not just that, but there are all kinds of mechanisms you can see, uh, particularly when you get into the colon, where you can see an increase in pH, you can see things like N-glycol, neuraminic acid, you can see um, all these sort of oncogenic things that happen um, if you do it too much and you do it too long, okay? Um, and then there are ways to offset that. So you add a little bit of fiber in with meat, you can push the pH of the colon back down, and you, see, and you just see those risks go away. So I would say that um, over the long term, um, that a lot of people would probably see, or, uh, could in fact have a chance to see some health-related issues from imbalancing, you know, too much, too much meat in the diet, too much, uh, too much, too much protein in that way. Where in the short term, you'll probably see a lot of benefits. And it just gets to how the how the body really works. And the truth is, is that um, you can there isn't. There isn't anything I can think of that if you do it to an imbalance that won't make you sick in some way. It's true of water, 
It's true of fiber. And yeah, it's true of meat too. Um, mm-hmm. So the real, the highest truth of health is that, is that um, balance uh, rules the body and that imbalance inputs eventually will produce imbalance in the body. This doesn't matter what it is. You could take anything and imbalance it and eventually it's going to cause a problem. So uh, that's the way I explain it. I, I think in 10 years, we're going to look back on this era and, and yeah. kind of see like, wow, yeah, how did we buy that? We were just kind of imbalancing yeah. everything. And that really the real truth is that a healthy balanced diet always was the best answer. It's just, we'll be at a new level. We'll be at understanding that it's really meal sequencing and it's really like using foods functionally in key sequences. And that's kind of the next thing. Mm. So mm. time will tell. Time will tell with the carnivore community. Um, yeah, I think... You no, know, I'm going to get a bunch of haters now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think, um, like you said, like anything to an extreme is going to have some downstream consequence. And I think the one thing that they pull from is that, is there like literally one or two studies that they keep on drawing upon is, you know, the, have you seen those like long-term carnivore diet studies? I think there's like one. What are they, what are they defining by long-term? It was only conducted in like the sample size, I think was like two participants. I'm not exactly sure. I have to double check, but yeah, I mean, it was basically illustrating um, zero effects on ill health. Like it just had no deleterious effects. What was the duration? What what are they calling long-term? I think, I think it was at least um, 30 years. I'll have to. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Well, first of all, uh, that's, I mean, that, that's just, that's just gibberish. I mean, like no, no one, there, there's been no formal, tr- that's purely anecdotal reporting just yeah. put into, you know, put under a dressed up as science that, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, it, look, I'm, I'm a fan, you know, of the carnivore diet as a protocol. Like, like there's a lot of great, again, I'm, what I've been doing for a, a number of years is something more close to like what I would call a martial art. And it's just that, um, when you begin to factor in what, when, and how into anything, uh, you'll find that that there's a use for just about any any eating protocol at a certain time in a certain way. And so, carnivore diets are great. You know, like they're very functional. Like uh, I just I just don't do them. I just don't do them long term and as a way of life. That's the only difference. But like, there's a lot of utility to it. Mm. So um, that's probably where we differ. Yeah. Or rather, I would differ from you know like a strong adherent. So, in fact, I'll probably got to call up Mark Bell and. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I share a very similar stance in that regard. The one thing that really just frustrates me about um, what people say about eliminating these polyphenols and oxalates, I understand that. I understand that can be toxic. But what about all the research that we have that demonstrates the beneficial effects of these polyphenols on these pathways we've just spoken about, like improving endothelial function, improving um, enos, like modulating ACE enzyme, like these these polyphenols are definitely having these biological effects that meat on its own just does not address, you know? Well, okay. In 2006, I wrote an article on grass-fed beef in an era when beef was vilified. And, you know, I and I referenced all the available literature, which is coming out of um, Northern California talking about the benefits of grass-fed meat. So I've been a long time adherent of, you know, meat as a, as a superfood, okay? Like, and I still am. And it's part of my diet on a regular basis. Um, I think there is a, uh, I'm just, I'm speaking 
right now as a consumer who has done things for a lot of years. Um, and what will happen is when you get to the end of a road, it takes a long time to find out like what was really healthy. And um, you may not be happy with the answer doing something that uh, you thought was healthy and it really wasn't, you know, and the only person that's going to pay for it is you. But when you make a list of like the 10 or 12 greatest superfoods, almost every one on that list comes from a plant. Okay. Now I would put, I'd put salmon in there. I'd put grass fed beef in there, but the majority of those are going to be like plants. And that's because they're highly functional. And uh, I don't get into this, you know, meats bad, plants good. To me, uh, again, I talk about this in the book and I just explain that that's, that's one dimensional baby talk from a generation or from an era that's dying. It, it's, it's from an era when we, we looked at sort of these hyperpolarized extremes and, and we're really just doing simplistic talk about things. And um, what I'm seeing is a new generation forming of people that are much more interested in a much more nuanced, more accurate conversation of how things work um, versus just getting into, you know, debating narratives and things like that. And um, there are mechanisms that we can look at and identify that are highly beneficial in polyphenol and they're just healthy. Yeah. So why, why ignore it? <laughs> Yeah, I, I love meat. I love I love a good ribeye, you know, uh, by itself. I mean, I love that. I'll do I'll do that several times a week. But so what? I mean, polyphenols are healthy. Yeah, yeah. So for my listeners, if they want to learn more about these books you keep mentioning and and some of your other resources, where can they like delve into all of your amazing resources? Oh yeah. Uh, so the book is the the immunity code. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, beep nutrition, beepnutrition.com. And then we have also the immune centric fat loss course there and other goodies. So yeah, love to come on by. Awesome. Well, um, for those listening yeah. in, I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. You can check those out that, um, that immune centered fat loss course that to me is such a novel concept that really excites me that you're tackling sort of, or addressing fat loss from such a unique angle, a unique perspective. Um, I'm sure ben, ben, ben Greenfield would be very, uh, very proud of that concept because you know we both love our novel, novel pathways, which is cool. Um, yeah. But Joel, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I've got one final question, um, yeah. and that is basically, just out of curiosity, is there one area within research that you're really excited to see more of? Hmm. I think it probably has to do with, um, yeah, I'd like to see more on the uh, long-term, the long-term effects of ECM dynamics and different collagen proteins post, uh, post adipose remodeling. So when we remodel our fat mass, um, different kinds of collagen fibers get, get put back in to the ECM. And uh, it's, it's really difficult to appreciate what these things really are because the words don't describe them. We use these words collagen and fibers, but they're, that's not what they are. They're, they're, I, I can't even really, I don't just find an analogy for what these things are. It's like, they're sort of like um, computational construction materials that, that talk back and forth to the cell and, you know, you have this, uh, it's like a smart building where you have this ongoing dynamic sort of 
tensioning and all this crazy stuff happening. And uh, I think it's a thing that's just in its infancy right now. So uh, I think it's, it's going to be really fascinating to see what, what comes down the line with that. Mm, awesome. Okay. Well, um, yeah, hopefully once you find out more about that, you can, yeah, probably share <laughs> socials and yeah, develop yeah. some educational content around that. So Joel, yeah. um, thank, thanks, thanks for letting me nerd up today. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. I know um, my listeners are going to absolutely love this episode. Um, so it'll be on across all platforms. I um, just want to say a massive thanks again, Joel. Hey, thank you. This was, this was fun. Sorry. Sorry. And let, thanks for letting me just babble. <laughs> uh, I can see you. Uh, I can see you coming back for a second episode. That's for sure. That'd be fun. <laughs> awesome. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, welcome to the Next Wave Podcast. Consider us your chief AI officer in your business. My name is Matt Wolf. I have the number one YouTube channel in the AI space. I also run futuretools.com and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Lands, founder of lore.com. We wanna bring you the latest AI news and trends, show you how you can use AI in your business and personal life and help make it super easy for you to understand and execute. We're gonna equip you with the knowledge to thrive in this upcoming wave of change. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.